touched a drug, not one time, not one desire, never went back to my life of crime, not one time. Today I'm a certified licensed drug alcohol counselor, and I have not only just the testimony of what God brought me through, but dude, I've been there, and I've done that, and I bought a whole box of t-shirts. And if something happens when you have walked a mile in somebody else's shoes, it gives you a compassion and a love that melts pain and melts hopelessness. And just like Pastor Daniel looked at me and said, if you can do it for that guy, he was not kidding because I was so messed up. And... Um, I shared that for no reason other than just because I was so <clears throat> privileged to be this man's friend. And even though he pays me all these great compliments, it was really my privilege. And um, so I'm going to introduce you to my wife. I got married since the last time I was here. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm so excited. And so I'm going to introduce her. But before I do, I found out today that this great man plays a native Alaskan flute. And I am Caucasian, but I love anything native. I am white black. What did you call him? That was so funny. The blackest white man. No. Yeah, the whitest black man. That was it. That was so funny. anything native. I'm Irish, but I get it. So, <clears throat> so I asked him if he would play, and he said, well, I only play prophetically because I never study, and I don't, I don't know how to do it. And I said, that's perfect because I don't know what I'm doing either. So, <laughs> so between the two of us, this will just work out perfect or be a total train wreck. So... <laughs> Give it up for Minister Tim.
Come on, really give him praise. Wow, that was amazing. All right, not a train wreck. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> that was beautiful. I envisioned eagles screaming off in the distance as he was playing that. Um, so I got married. I asked my lovely wife to come share a little testimony. Um, you know, as we ministered today, it was so awesome to be equally yoked with somebody. Um, and I'm just so privileged, you know, we flew Pastor Daniel and Pastor Karen out who did our wedding. They uh, officiated our wedding along with uh, Michelle's best friend. They, uh, I wrote the ceremony and they co-officiated it. And it was awesome and beautiful. And, um, and so I'm going to have Michelle just come talk to you briefly and come say a hi, little greeting things to my beautiful wife. Um, I think I feel a little bit more comfortable down here. <laughs> um, objectively, if you know Pastor Gannon, um, he doesn't do things normally, and I do. <laughs> um, but I'm going to tell you a story um, of our journey on how um, we got to, uh, together. And um, there's a little transparency. Transparency is, I'm a huge advocate of transparency and make lots of jokes at my expense. So um, I probably will do that. And um, for those who don't like long stories, I apologize in advance. <laughs> um, I dated Michael when he was on drugs. Um, <laughs> I, I met Michael at a fraternity party, and I poured him a beer. And we never left each other's side that night. I thought he was so hot. <laughs> I loved his freckles, and I just thought, this is the man I want to be with. I was a freshman in college. He was five years older than me. And um, Michael and I... Uh, what he calls indoor dated for two years. And I told you I'm transparency and I have nothing to hide because through transparency, I'm speaking to some of you at some point in the story. So um, Michael graduated and he gave me his phone number. And by the way, Michael never, ever was with one kind of woman kind of guy. And um, I knew it. And um, we had an understanding, and he was the man I wanted to be with no matter what. And so he graduated. Um, he gave me his phone number and said, my mom will always know how to get a hold of me. Here's my phone number. And we um, maintained contact for a few years. I graduated, tracked him down in Hawaii when he, where he moved. I thought, well, hey, let's go see an ex-boyfriend in Hawaii. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and... Um, I called Michael up, I called his mom, called Michael up, and uh, he said, I'm a Christian now, and we can't have that kind of relationship anymore. And I thought, well, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, well, let me pray about it. And um, he did. 
And two days later, he called me up, and he says, you can come, but you have to bring a friend. And I did, and we spent um, quite a few days together with my friend in tow. And um, we drove to Hana for two and a half hours. He and my friend, who apparently was a backslidden Christian, were yakking about Jesus like nobody's business. And I'm like, I'm a Christian, I'm Catholic, and I know what you guys are talking about. Um, it was Michael's birthday, and um, we were climbing the poles of Hana. You know, you're supposed to climb the poles and jump off the side. Well, as I was climbing up the pole, Michael was above me, and he reached down to grab my hand, and as I reached to grab his to help me up, I fell. 20 feet, rock, head first, rock after rock after rock. Still have scars right here. This tooth is, tooth is fake. And... <laughs> Um, not all this is real. <laughs> um, there were two voices I heard on the way down on that fall. One was, oh no, another rock, which was me. And the other one was, don't fight it. That less recognizable voice was the first time I ever heard God. Um, in the Hana Hospital, Michael's speaking in tongues over me, and I'm like, what is going on? And a couple days later, I actually gave my heart to Christ at King's Cathedral in Maui. I got saved during um, a play out how to witness to in a, in a mall, because that's, you know, the gospel right there. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And um, I went up and uh, stood next to Michael, and he put his arms around me, and I gave my life to Christ in Michael's arms. And Michael whispered to me, he doesn't remember this, we're going to spend the rest of our lives together. Now, as a woman who is single and totally hot after the dude, that's music to your ears, right? A year later, he married another woman, and I went on and lived my life in LA and pursued God, pursued the Holy Spirit, did not go to Assemblies of God Church. I went to a Hope Chapel, um, Ralph Moore's church in LA. You guys know Ralph Moore's from Hawaii, yeah. Um, and um, pursued God, pursued the Holy Spirit. In 1995, I was at a vineyard conference and um, I had got prophesied for the first time that I recall, um, and the prophetic word in 1995 was that I was going to marry a pastor, and that I was going to, um, it was going to be a long season, and I was mad. I was mad. It was like 26, 27, 28. I was in the process of everybody getting married, and... I, it was a long season. In 1997, I had a dream. A dream I'm a dreamer. God, thank God for my dreams. I swear I spent so much money in counseling by going to bed. And um, <laughs> you guys know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I go to sleep, wake up. I'm healed of that. Um, I woke up in 1997, and God said, your husband's name is Michael. And I said, I woke up, I happened to be in my best friend's, I was sleeping in my best friend's house, and um, 
1997, I, yeah, so I woke up and I told my best friend, I said, I'm going to marry Michael just like you. And she said, what? And I go, don't tell anybody, Joanne. I'm not sure, but I think that's God. But I'm telling you just in case it, it is God. And the older I got, waiting for Pastor Michael, because he wasn't even in my radar, you guys. He was married to somebody else. He was making babies. There was, there was, he, was, he was off the table. And um, we, we made contact maybe once, once a year, you know. Um, but he was off the table. I was, it was, my heart was closed off to Pastor Michael Gannon. Um, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I watched more people get married, more people get married, more people get married, waiting for my Pastor Michael. And I tell you, he never showed up. And then I buried the prophecy. Even though deep down inside, I knew I heard God. And the only other person that knew the prophecy was my best friend. And we never talked about it. Because I refused to talk about it. And I refused to believe that that prophetic word was true because I was getting older. And then I started dating the wrong men trying to make the wrong men the right men. And tolerating, why aren't you married? Something must be wrong. And the tapes that you play in your head about, I must not be good enough. I must have some deep-seated issue. 31, 32, I know you're thinking I'm 31, 32. 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38 years old. Okay, I'm okay, I'm not gonna have kids. 39, 40, 41, I date a Mike who I called Michael, that poor man. <laughs> I wrung that man dry saying, you're Michael, stop sinning. You're supposed to be a pastor. God bless him. <laughs> It's totally true. Um, 43, 44, 45, 46. Now, by the way, I am dating men, but I'm not kissing any of them because I'm waiting for my husband. Dealing with rejection, just figuring out that maybe it's not me. 47, 48, I'm never getting married. <laughs> it's not happening. 49. In the summer of 2013, I got a Facebook message from Michael Gannon. Wants to be a Facebook friend. My heart goes, Ugh. but Michael's off liftments, right? Michael's married. Michael's a pastor. Michael has kids. 
He's off limits. My heart is closed off to Michael Gannon until I went to his Facebook page. And his wife, who, by the way, has always been very kind to me, even when she knew our history. She wasn't in the photos because I knew what she looked like. And I said, Michael Gannon's not married? How is this possible? He's the, he's, the, he's the reason I came to Christ. He changed everything for me. He was the love that I wanted when I was in college. How could he possibly be available? <laughs> That's good. Um, so he and I had chatted, and he told me the story. I um, hung up the phone, called my best friend, Joanne's her name. And I said, Pastor Michael is available. And she said, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I lost it. I cried myself to sleep for three nights in a row, knowing my Pastor Michael was coming. I did not make the same mistake that I did to my friend Mike. I didn't tell him for a whole year. But I did start unburying the treasure, the word. I took it out, and I told my closest and dearest friends, and I said, you guys, I need to tell you something. My pastor, Michael, lives in Kentucky. And I don't want him to know, but I'm just praying this through. And I cry every single night. I prayed for my pastor, Michael. I prayed for him. I prayed for him, prayed for him. And every time he called, I would wait two weeks because I didn't want him to figure it out in my voice that I was like, <laughs> <laughs> completely clueless. I God bless him to no idea. I even let one point, he said, I go, what's your doctorate on? And he told me, and I could never tell you what it is, but I remember going, I said, Literally under my breath, you guys, I said, oh, that's so hot. And I went. <laughs> he doesn't remember it, thank God. But I was like so like exposed, right? Oh, my gosh, he knows I like him. But I, we, were, we just got to know each other again over the phone. And um, God told me to um, love on him in a way that was uh, a stretch for me. Um, I had a conversation with him, and there were some things that were said um, in that conversation that two days later he called me up and said, I think I'm supposed to marry you. And it took about three days for me to catch my breath and tell him that, okay, come visit. <laughs> But was, we were testing the waters the entire time, but uh, getting to know what God wanted from us. And Michael got a prophetic word, and he told me that he was in love with me. And I said, can I tell you a story? <laughs> and that's how we got together. <laughs> And the whole time, I did not kiss anybody either, because jogging one day, the Lord challenged me and said, 
Could you model for your daughters the man you want them to meet? What would that look like? And I knew instantly that I would want that man to be a perfect gentleman and wait until he said, I do, to kiss my kid. So for seven years, I did not kiss a woman until I said, I do. And she waited way longer. It was worth it to me, my seven years, but... <laughs> Isn't that a great story? <clears throat> Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. I want to share uh, how you unearth buried treasures. So say this with me. Say unearth. Buried treasures. Found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like something precious buried in a field, which a man found and hid again. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. That pearl of great price, if you will, became the treasure that he sold everything he had to go and purchase it. So he would own it. And sometimes in our life, like with Michelle, we hide prophetic words because they seem so unimaginable. They seem so far in the distance. They seem... uh, that the possibility of them coming to pass is so remote. And so the word that was meant to bless you actually becomes a sting against you. Because we don't want to feel that pain, we dig a hole and bury it. We say, well, Lord, if that's your will, you just come and dig that thing up for me. But I just can't face that. And the longer it takes and the more time goes by and the more words you get that this thing is going to happen becomes like a scourge and a whip upon you. It's almost as if the enemy mocks the unfulfillment of the word God said. And I don't know if you've ever borne pain like that. (laughs) But you can't bury pain like that deep enough. And we hide our gifts. We bury our treasures. We, we do what that man did in burying his talent. He buried it because he was afraid of losing it. Maybe we fail. Maybe we mess up in ministry or we're you know, not used the way we think we should be. We hide our treasure. We hide our talent. And in Jeremiah chapter 32, there's an interesting story. I want to share it with you. I I had experienced, um, you know, that great deliverance that I told you about when I got saved. I showed up one week later at King's Cathedral 
Dr. Morocco shares a message I will never forget at Kane Street. I'm being committed to the local church. I walked up to him after that service. And I said, my name is Michael Gannon, and I'm going to be committed to your church. I was wearing surf shorts, flip-flops, and a T-shirt. I looked exactly like him. <laughs> Mine didn't have holes in it, though. And he looked at me like, great. <clears throat> and I just stuck around. I stuck around and I did anything I had to do. I started working in children's ministry with Pastor Brian. And uh, they wouldn't trust me with kids for good reason. You know, so, so I would like hold the door and, you know, hand out candy and, you know, do whatever. Right? I was the janitor. I built walls at Connie Street when they had a school. We had to build these, put up these huge walls, and nobody else wanted to do it. Not one person, so I volunteered. And I just served like a crazy man. I drove a bus and a bus route and, you know, had 20 kids in my van in Lahaina, Blazing hot, 80 degrees, no air conditioning. I think we got the vans from Molokai, or maybe we used them and then gave them to you in Molokai. Had holes in the floorboard, I mean. Yeah, it was just like, you had, to, you had to be so full of the Holy Ghost to drive one of those vehicles, I'm telling you. It's just like, Jesus, help us. The wheel would go like this, you know. You were like, oh, Lord. You're just, you know, you'd have a come to Jesus meeting every time you got in the van. And, um, and I just sweaty hot kids. And I mean, I did that for like two years. I mean, just served and served and served and served. Anything I could find to do, I would do. And finally, after like six years, they trusted me with a person. And I got to do youth ministry, and I was like, yes, you know, I've arrived, you know, like real people and stuff, you know, because <clears throat> the only deliverance minister I had was like on the commode, you know, come out, Jesus, Jesus. name of Jesus, come out, Jesus. come out, and be like prophesying to the toilet the name of Jesus, you demon, I adjure you. And I just served and served and served and served and served. And finally, and I went to Bible college, I got my license, I became a reverend. Like a real reverend. And I'm plunging toilets. Reverend janitor. And I just kept serving and serving. And all these people were getting promoted. And here's what you don't know. On a rainy day in Paia, God spoke to me and said, you're going to be a pastor. And I said, I don't want to do it because the people I know who pastor don't. I don't want to be like him. Because they didn't seem that on fire for God and kind of stressed out. Not in our church, in other people's churches. 
other churches. Yes, other people's churches. And, and I thought, I thought, there's no way, God, I'm going to do that. So I didn't want to do it. So I argued with the Holy Spirit on a rainy day in Paia for hours, I'm telling you. I just said, there's no way I'm going to do it. And by the way, are you that desperate? You got to ask me? Like, like, I'm beginning to wonder if you have real wisdom. I am your choice for a pastor. Like, you searched the whole earth, and you came up with this idea. I, w I was a little concerned for God. Like, I'm not trying to tell you your business, but that is a bad idea. And anyway, if you ever argued with the Holy Spirit, it's like, durr. Finally, you go, okay, you win. <laughs> You're God, I give. And, and so I had this word, I'm going to be a pastor, right? And I'm plunging toilets. And then I become a reverend, plunging toilets. And I'll never forget, I went into Dr. Morocco, and I said, I'm going to be a pastor. God spoke to me. I said, I'm going to be a pastor. You know, like, I am pastor. Not as good when I do it, but it's really funny. And um, <clears throat> he said, Well, my brother, let me pray about that. <clears throat> and I was so ticked. I'm just telling you, I was so mad walking out of his office. I got in my car, and I was driving. I lived in Kihei. I was driving. I went all the way down uh, Putanene Highway, going down the back way to Kihei. And I will never forget, I get to the light at Kihei, and the Lord gives me this word in the book of Daniel that servants trained three years in the court of the king before they ever got to go before him. And the Lord gave me this word that you've just been training on toilets, but I will bring you before the court of the king. And I like, ah, stopped my car, whipped a U-turn. <laughs> I did. I drove back as fast as I could, and I walk in his office, and I said, the Lord spoke to me, and I am going to be one of your pastors. And I gave him that word, and he had the same look on his face. <laughs> like, well, I told you I'd pray about it. You know, I'd been gone like five minutes or something. <clears throat> and anyway, <clears throat> to make a long story short, I am in fact now Dr. Pastor Michael Gannon.
And the hard thing is when words don't make sense. Anybody get a word that doesn't make sense? In Jeremiah chapter 32, we're not going to read the whole thing, but if you read this verse of Scripture, verses 1 through 14, in Jeremiah chapter 32, and how many know Jeremiah was a bullfrog? And he is a good friend of mine. And just to give you some background, Jeremiah is imprisoned. Zedekiah is king. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, and Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. They, the, in Jerusalem and Israel was about to go into their 70 years of captivity. Does anybody remember this story? And so Jeremiah, because he was prophesying, the king didn't appreciate it, which was basically his prophecy is, sorry, you're going to lose. He didn't appreciate that prophecy. He said, you're a false prophet. He locked him up. And he's imprisoned in the courtyard of the king. And the word, he goes, and God speaks to him and says, uh, Behold, in verse 7, Hanamel, son of Shalem, your uncle shall come to you and say, Buy my field, that is Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. So in the middle of his captivity of being imprisoned, the Lord gives him a prophetic word that your uncle is going to come to you and tell you to buy a this land, to buy this field. Is everybody following me? And... And it makes no sense for many reasons, one of which is they're going to be captured, go into captivity. And another reason is that Anathoth had already been conquered by the Babylonians. So on the way to Jerusalem, they had already captured, this is Jeremiah's hometown, Anathoth is his hometown, and it had already fallen to the Babylonians. That field was absolutely worthless. And the Lord speaks to him and says, your uncle's going to come, and when he does, you buy that field. And some interesting things that happen, that the word for Anathoth, there's several verbs. It means to answer or to respond, uh, which means answers. Everybody say answers. Jones Distinguished Old Testament Proper Name Dictionary takes a slightly different uh, view of the verb that reads answers, and they distinguish it into the same verb but with a different tense that means an answer in the sense of a solution of a problem or a conundrum and a response to a supplication which translates basically into answers to prayers. So the word for Anathoth, the very place where God tells him to buy this field that is worthless, means answers to prayers. And in Anathoth, that city was given to the Koholahite Levi's, which is found in Numbers 26, verse 57. The Levi, Levi, that the Levites are named after, was the father of Kohath. Kohath was the father of Amram. Amram was the father of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And the Levites had their duty as priests, the special charge of caring for the holy things. 
Do you all know what that means? Things that are precious to God. Those holy items. And they're in charge of that. And this, this Anathoth is in where the tribe of Benjamin was from. And the Benjamin is the least of the tribes. So everybody follow me? And so Jeremiah goes to buy this field from his uncle. He weighs out and gives him 17 shekels for it. The uncle does come. He buys the field. Many scholars believe it, uh, it was a potter's field. They, a potter's field. Everybody say potter's field. A potter's field was used to bury strangers or the friendless poor. Those people who were not identifiable. They had no necks of kin. No one came and claimed them. So they were like a John or Jane Doe. Has anybody ever felt like that? Anybody ever felt like that? Unidentifiable. Just can't relate. And the Sanhedrin, the potter's field, they're used over... 295 times in Scripture, the Sanhedrin bought a potter's field to bury Judas in with the 30 pieces of silver that he, he got to betray Christ with, found in Matthew 27, 7. Leviticus 25, verses 23 to 28, the law records what happens in terms of reclaiming a field which is why the uncle comes and asks Jeremiah to purchase this field. It was written in the law. So Babylon had already taken Anathoth. The land was useless. God gives him a word to go buy this thing that makes absolutely no sense. He's imprisoned. Jerusalem's going to fall. Are you crazy? Have you ever thought God lost his mind by some things he says? Like, like, do you know who you're talking to? What did you say? Anybody? And Jeremiah goes and buys the land as God instructed him to, as a crazy prophetic word for 17 shekels of silver, to finalize the purchase, they record in verse 10, they signed the deed, sealed it, called witnesses, weighed out the money in the scales. They took the deed of the purchase, both of which were sealed, containing the terms and the conditions of the copy, which was unsealed. So what they would do is they would keep one copy that was open and unsealed, and one copy they would seal as the official document. They would stamp it. They would take a clay remnant, wrap it in ribbon, and then the witnesses would seal their seal all, like a notary today. And it says he gave the purchase deed, which is the closed deed, to Baruch, son of Neriah, in the sight of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and the witnesses who signed the purchase deed in the presence of all the Jews who were sitting in the court. And he charged Baruch before them, saying, thus says, the Lord, the gods of Israel, take these deeds, both the purchase deed which is sealed and the sun-sealed deed, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may, may last a long time. Historically, we know 
that what they would do with the closed deed or the sealed deed is they would put him in an earthen vessel and they would bury him. That was like their safety deposit box. They would bury it in the earth to be uncovered. The sealed deed, the closed deed, if there was ever a dispute in the land, that sealed closed deed would be the final authority on what happened. Then the other ones would keep the open deed of proof of purchase. And they would go bury that closed deed until there was a dispute and the dispute would be solved by that closed deed. In 1978, a professor, Naaman Irigard, there's many other things I can share, but he came upon a Buell, B-U-L-L-E, a Buell, which was the type of closed deed with the inscription exactly as it had been. And it was, it read in the inscription in Hebrew, belonging to Burka Yaiku, son of Neriah, the scribe. And Burkarnaya is short for Baruch, the scribe of Jeremiah. And the inscription on that seal found in that earthen vessel, many scholars believe, was from the year 572 B.C. He found it in 1978. And the word of the Lord that was buried in that vessel from the year 572 B.C. is the prophetic word of the Lord in verse 15. The end of this message says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be purchased yet again in this land. The fulfillment of verse 15 was put in an earthen vessel and buried in the ground. And God stood and watched over that word <laughs> to bring to the fulfillment the prophetic word of can a nation be born in a day. And I'm telling you, this prophetic word is sitting right here in front of me. And I don't know what kind of prophetic words you've buried. <laughs> what gifts you've been hiding. What things you've allowed to lay dormant in your life. But tonight, by the Spirit of the Lord, we are going to unearth them. We are going to unearth destinies tonight. We're going to unearth the prophetic words that you buried us at the... <laughs> That just can't happen. And tonight I'm telling you, God is going to stir up those things in you. And you're going to see, I believe, the fulfillment of those words. Amen. Come on. Wow. Come on, somebody say wow.
there is a there's a real uh, very tangible I don't know if you can see it but I certainly can there is like a cloud that's just especially over the left side and just sort of moving in just like a haze of the presence of God coming from the back you see it Pastor Mike it's there don't worry about it that was a great word Thy word is forever settled in heaven. He stands over his word to see it performed. He sends forth his word and it doesn't return void. No, it doesn't. His word is a lamp unto a feet, light upon my path. My goodness. Ushers, help us out. We're going to sow right now. We're going to give right now. Come on, let's, let's bless Everybody do something. Pray. Talk to Jesus. What should you do? Come on, everybody do something. Bob Rogers, friend of ours, says a measure of a good offering is that everybody just does something, obeys God and does something. So what you want to do is put an envelope in every single person's hand. So just take a big old stack and hand them all the way down the line. All right, there we go. Glory. That was a great word. I'm not done yet. Yes, that's true. Be certain you don't forget it. Amen. sing a little something there, Bishop, while they're, while they're getting ready. I want to hear your voice telling me where to go. want to hear you calling out my name. I want to give my life completely. I want to give my life completely. And I'll do what you want me to do I will do what you want me to do I want to hear your voice telling me where to go want to hear you calling out my name I want to give my life completely. I want to give my life completely. 
Pastor Josh, would you come and pray over the offering? Come on, hold your offering up to the Lord. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Well, God, I thank you that right now there's an anointing for multiplication. There are many here who are believing for homes. You're believing for a home. Just lift your hand right now where you're at. You're believing for a home right now. Father, I thank you that as they give, even right now, Lord, you're going to begin to release a home to them. There's somebody here that you've been fighting for a raise. A raise that you're supposed to get many, many, many times, but it never happened. And the word of the Lord is that it's coming right now. Favor is yours. In Jesus' name, Lord, bless your people. Increase to come. In Jesus' name. Go ahead, Usher. your feet we're gonna we're gonna close in just a moment but i do believe we would be a mess if i just didn't let dr gannon just turn loose a prayer over all of us given the time saturday night nine o'clock 
I want to provide enough time for you to get home and come back in the morning. Because Jesus is going to be here. 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. I need, I need some of y'all to come to 9. That 11 is pretty full. Right? You, you come, come to the 9, 11. You can come to both if you want to. But it's going to be dynamic and powerful, of course, Sunday night at 6 o'clock. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be tremendous. Pastor Robert, can we bring in the fire? Monday night. we got all day Monday, Monday night. Bishop Robert Hook's going to close us out Monday night. You're in for a special, special treat. It's going to be great. Pastor Michael, would you come? And I want you to, no matter what he says, stay in your seat. Amen. Because Pastor Michael gets lost in the Holy Ghost. And we'll be here till 1030. And that, that could be good, but I feel like the Lord's spoken to me to let you go home so you come back. So the Lord spoke to yes, me. Sir. Yes, sir. And we've got some folks that we're going to bring presbytery over also, some of our staff. So go ahead. Okay, you're taking my time. Okay, have a seat really fast. Have a seat really fast. I really am only going to take five minutes, not Pentecostal. No, I... If I can, okay, can you show this video? And I want to tell one fast, fast story of buried dreams and very prophetic words. Show this video, would you? Better crank it up. And I'm going to point something out to you. It's being bought out. this word for the Lord that that young man was right here and I will never forget it because the Lord had given me this word that they would be pregnant and I told his wife that and she said I have had so many words 
that I would be pregnant if you say one thing, I will punch you in the face. That is absolutely for real in the green room. If you, if you even say the word baby, I will punch you in the face. And her husband, who at that time was a captain in the United States Air Force, is now a lieutenant colonel. And the fire of God hit him right here. And they have four kids to this day. Come on! Come on! Come on! Come on! Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. So if you buried a dream, whatever it is, we're just going to pray. If you stand right now, if you say, that's me, Pastor. This message tonight resonated with you. I want you to stand. And we're going to pray that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, will unearth that vessel. So come on, lift your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus. To be submissive to my dear friend, I must pray quickly. But I know no matter what happens, that you are able to leave tonight with these people and unearth the vessel that they have buried, to unearth the talents that have been buried, to unearth the hurts and the pains of the words that have been spoken and spoken and spoken and spoken to the point where that dear woman said, if you give me one more word, I will punch you in the face because the pain was so great, she couldn't bear it anymore. No matter how deeply that is buried, within the lives of these people who are standing. Spirit of the living God marked them and target them this evening because you know exactly where they buried that. You know exactly where they buried it. Father, on earth that is only you can Dig it up and resurrect it. I don't care how dead it is. Lazarus is such a great example. Doesn't matter how dead it is. Resurrect it and let your life be breathed upon that dream. Breathed upon that destiny. Breathed upon it tonight in the name of Jesus. Breathe upon every addiction. Breathe over it tonight in the name of Jesus. That even this evening people would experience freedom and the joy of your salvation in the name of Jesus. If you're not saved, just if you're not saved tonight or you're just not walking with God, I encourage you how will we do that? Can we just have him see Pastor Vince? If you... All right, why don't you just pray this prayer with me. If you'd like to give your heart to the Lord, God can set you free, but you got to meet him. Amen? you got to meet him. So say this with me. Say, Jesus, 
come into my heart. Forgive every sin, every failure, every shortcoming. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Help me unearth my prophetic destiny in the name of Jesus. And that was five minutes. Thank you, Lord. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. Father, thank you for what you've done. Bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon them. Lift up your countenance towards us, O oh God, and give us peace. Jesus' name. Nine o'clock and 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. We'll see you at six o'clock tomorrow night, and then Monday we do it all over again. God bless you. If you will kindly slip on out, we're going to move right into the next uh, place of ministry.